From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. A high volume die cast part will cost you about $10 a kilo. You know, that's when you get into the automotive sector. Sand cast parts around that $50 to $100 a kilo. So 3D printing was, you know, a factor of 10 or a factor of 50 um, beyond what is typical in the industry today. And um, so that was really the challenge that we set ourselves is could we take the cost and, and that then comes down to speed, of course, um, because manufacturing, in manufacturing speeds everything. And, um, and take that from, you know, the, the thousand to $5,000 a kilo we're paying today for metal and get it into that 50 to $100 block. And um, to do that, there's, there's numerous things you have to do. Now, the first one and the most important one is speed, and that's, that's the name of the company. You do need to be able to produce parts fast. And, and typical, you know, give you some real numbers here. So a typical laser bed, you're looking at, you know, 0.1 to one gram a minute. And, and then um, you can do your math about how long your part's gonna take. Um, really, you need to be up into that, you know, 10 to 100 grams a minute. If you're not there, you're not manufacturing, you're really just building expensive prototypes. So, um, so we looked at that and, and that's just a physics equation. It's, it's not difficult. Um, you know, in a typical melting process, you have to take a solid to a liquid and then back to a solid. And that takes time and you can work out that time. And that's very easy. And um, then you work out right with a with a traditional melting process, you, you, you just come up against a speed limit and, and you can't fix that. So how do you then fix that is you don't melt the, um, the powders. That was Byron Kennedy. Byron is the co-founder and CEO of Speed3D, a high-speed metal 3D printing company. He is a serial entrepreneur, having co-founded the first spin-off company from Charles Darwin University before exiting to the New York Stock Exchange-listed company Regal Beloit. His current company, Speed3D, has developed a new 3D printing process for metals, supersonic 3D deposition. Targeting commercial and industrial applications, the technology is suitable for a vast array of materials, including copper, aluminum, and other metals. He joins the show to talk about Speed 3D and approaches to increase the throughput of 3D printing metal. Show Byron, do you want to just get started with introducing Speed 3D to the audience? Yeah, I'll start with an introduction on myself and and the company. So Speed 3D is a manufacturer of metal 3D printers based in um, Melbourne in Australia. Um, And and the technology is quite unique in that the process that we use is is based on cold spray. So how how that actually works is inside our printers we have a small rocket nozzle and we use that to accelerate air up to about a thousand metres a second. And and what we do is we then inject metal powders into this high speed air And of course, those metal powders then get accelerated up to very, very high speeds. And when they hit a surface, they then stick and then create these full density parts. And and this process was known as cold spray. It's been around for uh, 10, 20 years and used in the repair world. So for instance, if you have a, a, it's used a lot by the military in repairing things like um, helicopters and, and tanks. So if you have a, 
a corroded part, and, and these are very expensive parts in the military, you know, let's say it's a $100,000 part and it's got some pitting corrosion, uh, cold spray is being used to then fill that uh, hole due to the corrosion and then you machine it back. So what we did is took a repair technology and added very sophisticated software to be able to turn a coating process into a manufacturing process. And, and that's really where the company uh, was born and where we came about from. And can you talk about kind of your kind of venture into additive manufacturing? I know you reading your, a little bit about your bio, you started with this not your first company. Um, so how did you kind of target cold spray as uh, technology to invest your time and, and resources. Yeah, 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 no, great question. So the, um, the history actually goes back before this company. So uh, I'm one of the founders of Speed3D as well as uh, Steve, and, and previously we had another company which was designing and building electric motors. And these motors are, are used in things like pool pumps, in air conditioners, electric bikes, and those sorts of applications. Um, so we built that company and we sold that company to a large US manufacturer uh, called Regal Beloit um, and that was very successful and um, we set up production lines for those electric motors in Thailand, in, in Mexico, all around the world and we're exporting that motor globally. During that process, we spent a lot of time developing new motors and, and variants of that existing motor. And we always came across the challenge about how do you get cast parts fast and economically and, and cheaply and, and with being able to iterate around the designs. So in the world of production you typically build a first prototype then you'll build 30 then you build 100 and then you'll get into mass production so how do you work your way up through that and and traditionally to cast apart you have to make tools and you're looking at about a 12 to 16 week lead time for tools so um so we're very aware of this issue of casting slowing down the development cycle of you know, traditional components like electric motors. So when we finished up at Regal, uh, we, we knew of 3D printing, we'd used it a little bit in, in that company, but, but the challenge with 3D printing was that it was just too expensive and too slow. So a typical laser-based you know, technology will cost you between $1,000 to $5,000 a kilogram for a part. So fine if you're making a one-off prototype, fine if you're making medical, fine if you're in the aerospace sector, but certainly not fine for um, production of parts in commodity manufacturing. So to, to give you a realistic number, you know, a, a high volume die cast part will cost you about $10 a kilo. You know, that's when you get into the automotive sector. Sand cast parts around that $50 to $100 a kilo. So 3D printing was, you know, a factor of 10 or a factor of 50 um, beyond what is typical in industry today. And um, so that was really the challenge that we set ourselves is could we take the cost? And, and that then comes down to speed, of course, um, because manufacturing, in manufacturing, speeds everything. And, um, and take that from, you know, the, the thousand to $5,000 a kilo we're paying today for metal and get it into that $50 to $100 
block. And um, to do that, there's there's numerous things you have to do. Now, the first one and the most important one is speed, and that's that's the name of the company. You do need to be able to produce parts fast. And and typical, you know, give you some real numbers here. So a typical laser bed, you're looking at you know 0.1 to one gram a minute, and and then um, you can do your math about how long your part's going to take. Um, really, you need to be up into that you know, 10 to 100 grams a minute. If you're not there, you're not manufacturing, you're really just building expensive prototypes. So um, so we looked at that, and, and that's just a physics equation. It's, it's not difficult. Um, you know, in a typical melting process, you have to take a solid to a liquid and then back to a solid, and that takes time. And you can work out that time, and that's very easy. And um, then you work out, right, with a, with a traditional melting process, you... You, you just come up against a speed limit and, and you can't fix that. So how do you then fix that is you don't melt the, um, the powders. And so we were looking for a process that wouldn't melt the powders. Um, we fortuitously came across this process called cold spray. We looked at it. Um, we saw what they were doing in the military. We saw we knew we had to adopt it because you can't just take it as it is and then expect it to work. So we then did the engineering and in particular the software development to be able to take a coding technology and turn it into a manufacturing. But, but really the key is identifying that um, unless you speed up the process, your economics aren't going to be favourable. So, so that was really what led us into the cold spray world. When you think of speed, do you think of it just in the context of how fast you can build a part up or the entire workflow with kind of setting up a build plate or kind of post-processing, all the back-end stuff as well? Absolutely both. Um, so um, firstly, you do have to start with um, a full understanding of that supply chain. And, and if, you, if you see some of the videos of our printer, you look at it and you think, wow, that's upside down. So what we actually do is we have the nozzle on the bottom of the printer and we're firing the metal powders upwards. And, and essentially that's getting the powder is, is depositing on a plate on the end of a robot arm, which is then doing a dance around the nozzle. So typically people have done it the other way. They put um, nozzles on the end of robot arms and then they've had the uh, parts stationary. So why did we invert the whole process? And, and that's an understanding of the supply chain. So the, um, if you want to get into manufacturing, you need to be able to understand that whole workflow. So what happens is if you build the part on the end of a robot arm, you can then build one part and that robot can then automatically eject that part onto a, a tray or a um, into another robot, which will then go directly into a CNC machine, which will then be finished. And if you have that vision from day one that you need this to be an automated process, that that is what needs to be done. You know, I, I do see a lot of challenges around the you know, traditional powder bed system is, is you know, you're making 100 or 1,000 parts on a, on a tray, then you've got to somehow you know, manually get those parts out of a tray. You've got to get rid of all of that powder. And, and that's not an automated process. So if you go back to traditional manufacturing and you look at um, the Toyota production system, they always talk about single-piece flow. And what single-piece flow is making one part, one part, one part, one part, not, not batch production. 
and and there's various reasons for that which I can go into or, or we don't need to but um, the the advantage there's significant advantage of making single parts one after another rather than batch production so if you take all of that together that's why we design the printer in this upside down manner such that we can produce one part and then push that off and then produce the same part again or a different part doesn't make any difference but it's producing one part um, at a time now it's not to say the technology can't make multiple parts we can at the, at the same time um, but um, traditional manufacturing di dictates that um, single piece flow is the most cost effective way to do that and then on top of that of course <coughs> the, the printing technology has to be fast and you have to be able to produce it so at a, at a speed so we you know we're working on a project at the moment where we're producing parts in about four minutes and then the post machining is about um, uh, five minutes so we're, we're able to produce parts now quicker than the post machining and and that's the or about the same time and that's the ideal scenario for manufacturing is to produce a part uh, and then make sure that the processes that follow are of a, of a similar time frame. If you can do that, then, then you can produce um, just-in-time components and, and all of the lean principles that are taught in manufacturing. Right, and I think the thing that really emphasizes this for me when I was first reading about you guys and seeing you at trade shows was that I think, I can't remember if it was Formnext or Rapid last time I, I saw the machine, but you were making kind of hammers and actually like having them on sale at your booth and actually showing like, hey, we're making these all during the during the show, like people are buying them, but we can replenish it. So like it was, I really liked that approach saying, hey, like this is this is production, we're doing this here in the, this funky warehouse trade show area and think about potential if you have a, a real setup. So I like the that mentality of thinking through the process in the fact that it's, it's production and you're not, necessarily hamstrung by conventional thinking of, of of other technologies that may have come previously yeah 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 100 percent. and then that that's that's really the vision of, of being able to show that at a trade show is you know in a in a booth or you know at a at a, an event you know we can bring in a machine it takes about um two to three hours to set up um then we bring in a cnc machine uh and and we can have the full production line running at the trade show and you know really it takes about a day to set set everything up and get it running but being able to do that in a, a, a production environment of course very very simple it's it's small it's compact and and really it's it's about being able to um, to produce a lot of material so just to give you an example we can produce about um, on, on any of our machines uh, about 25 tonnes, say it's copper because we do a lot of work in copper at the moment, 25 tonnes of material. So so that's about 50,000 pounds of material for, for a printer per year. Um, about, um, you know, roughly 250 kilograms per day we'll be able to put out. And, and just to give you an example as a comparison, a typical SLM machine uh, will produce about 250 kilos in a year. So we'll be producing the same in a day what a, you know, a typical laser machine will, will produce in a year. 
And, and that's what you need to do to be able to really hit the production markets. Um, you know, you can put, you know, for one of our machines, you can put 365 SLM machines in parallel and you'll have the same output. So, so that, that's the order of magnitude increase that you need to do to really hit the production markets. And so when you're talking to customers about your technology, kind of what do you think of as, in terms of sweet spots for applications? Is it um, a material consideration that if they have, they're looking for copper or are they looking for other materials or is it particular design or geometries, big parts, small parts? Is there something that kind of resonates with the customer base? Yeah, I'd say it's, it's at the moment it's 50-50 in terms of um, two applications which, which are really you know, high-level applications, which I'm talking here, which are really seeing uh, the most benefit. One's in defence, which I'll talk about in a moment, and then the other is in high-volume uh, production of, um, of, of parts around the, the copper space uh, because we can print copper, copper and aluminium very, very simply, but the copper is a really difficult material to traditionally work with. And, and this is not just in 3D printing, um, but in, in manufacturing as well. So it's a difficult material to cast, it's a difficult material to machine, uh, and, but it's a high volume material. So if you, if you look at the world of metals, you know, there's three metals in the world essentially. There's, there's steel, there's aluminium, and there's copper, and everything else is a distant third. Uh, fourth, <laughs> and uh, so so in terms of the the copper materials, uh, it's very very easy for us to make copper and and the various alloys out there. So we do copper chromes, copper tungstens, copper chromes of cadmium, all, all different styles of copper uh, for different applications, um, and and they're used in lots and lots of areas such as. Um, Electrical distribution, they're used a lot in the military, uh, even aerospace use, use copper materials. So, um, so we are seeing a, a big interest around those high-volume copper applications because we can produce copper so quickly. Um, and, then, um, and then the second is um, defence, and I can, I can chat more about defence or, or we can continue on that. So, Yeah, let's go into that, that application specifically. Yeah, so, so let me now talk more on the defence sector. Uh, now, defence have um, interesting requirements uh, in that um, they need parts very, very quickly. And, and when we're talking quickly, we're talking in a matter of hours. So if, if you're on the front line and one of your vehicles or vessels break, you need to then fix that. And you need to fix that and get it back to base as quickly as you can. And, and the challenge with the Defence Force is, is supply chain. So, um, so when, when Defence Forces are, are, are at um, uh, remote locations, how do they support their frontline troops? And, and this is what we call expeditionary 3D printing. So this is printing on or near the front line. So it could be on the front line, or it could be at a, a forward supply base. So either of those we, we classify as expeditionary 3D printing. So the key to expeditionary 3D printing, as I alluded to, is speed. And, and you need to be able to print parts um, in a matter of hours. You need to get them out there into the field and you need to fix those vehicles or, or vessels or, or whatever the requirements are. 
And, and so we've done a lot of work over the last year with the Australian Army to prove this out. And, and what we've done with the Australian Army is, is actually put printers onto the back of their um, military vehicles or vessels and taken them into the field. And, and literally it's, it's um, uh, driving it into the middle of the bush and we've done uh, multiple exercises now in conjunction with the military to take them into the middle of the bush. We have the printer and then we have all the accessories that go with it. So um, heat treating furnaces, CNC machines, uh, the various accessories to run the printer, generators, um, computers, everything. And, and it's a matter of then setting this up, um, and we can set it up very, very quickly. So typically pulling it off the back of a truck, we can be up and operational within about an hour, and then, um, uh, and, and then printing parts um, in, the, in the middle of the bush. And, and certainly, um, you know, traditional laser bed machines would never cope with even, you know, transportation on the back of some of these trucks that we, we deliver these printers on. So the beauty about this technology, it's very, very robust. It's, it's, a, it's made with very industrial equipment. You know, there's no high precision optics or, or levelling required or any of those sorts of things. So we drop it in the middle of the bush and when they drop them, they, they drop them hard. And, uh, and, and then, um, you know, we're, we're printing either aluminium or aluminium bronze, like various materials in, in the middle of the bush. And, and really, defence is a fantastic um, consumer of parts because um, the parts could be anything. Um, you know, they, they go from anything from, from brackets and, and steps to, to uh, pulleys and, and, you know, whatever breaks in the field is really the requirements of the defence force. So, um, so expeditionary is a, is a key uh, market for us and, and for 3D printing in general going forward. Um, and really it's about, you know, you need to be able to prove that you can drop these printers wherever you need to and you need to be able to use them. And it needs to be able to be used by a, a, a soldier or a sailor who's trained, of course, um, but it certainly can't be a PhD in, in, a, in a lab. The, you know, these, these are real-world environments we're working on. Do you have specific design approaches or design constraints when you're working with these teams in terms of conventional laser bed has support materials and you have to think about shrinkage and warpage and, and all that other specific design for AM approaches with your technology? Yeah, every, every technology is the same, of course, in terms of, um, you know, requirements and design guidelines and those sorts of things. Uh, and, and, uh, and, that, and that's from, you know, AM through to traditional subtractive manufacturing and casting as well. So, so no difference there. We, we have, you know, a, a series of constraints which we need to work in. You know, we can build, build very big parts with this machine. Uh, so our, our expeditionary machine, for instance, uh, can build parts up to around about 100 pounds and about three foot by two foot roughly. Um, so you can build very, very big parts. Um, you know, typical in, in these applications, uh, you know, we're seeing parts that are built in in an hour or two and, and then getting them into the field. So, yes, yeah, certainly there are those requirements. Um, you know, we, we have um, sophisticated software, as I've talked about, which is is used on the machine to generate the robot tool pass, which we re, which we need uh, to to build those parts. 
And then your process is not an inert, doesn't require any inert atmosphere, is that right? No, no, and that's and that's one of the reasons we can do this in the expeditionary environment. So, so we just used um, compressed air. So, with the the printer, you need a, a compressor. Um, but that's the beauty about this, and and you know, if you can take a compressor out um, to to site with a military application, which is very very simple, then you can run the printer. But but this is um, also relevant for other heavy industrial applications. So the, the kind of applications that we're talking about there are mining, uh, oil and gas, rail, and, and those sorts of um, applications where you need parts very, very quickly or, you know, to, to fix a particular problem that you've got. So, you know, in Australia, we have a lot of mining and, and the mine sites are at very, very remote locations and getting parts to those remote locations take, take time. Uh, as an example, the um, production lines at the mine sites, if they go down, they cost in the order of $2 million per hour. So, so to stop that happening, they have a very large uh, stock of spare parts. And, and 3D printing has the ability to be able to, to help with that and, and really to, to eliminate those big stockpiles. Um, and, and, you know, you, you, of course, you, the parts need to be um, uh, used in, in the right way. And, you know, they, they need to be the right style of parts. Uh, but, um, you know, and, and that's just based on the technology that's chosen. And can you talk about how your materials differ kind of on the, the powder front from a typical laser-based process? Are you, are you talking about kind of similar particle size distributions or are you bigger or smaller than the conventional powder bed systems. Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, so the process, uh, as I alluded to, called cold spray. So we're spraying these metal powders. Um, the advantage of spraying these metal powders is we can we can handle pretty much any shape. So, um, so we don't like flat plates. Um, but other than that, potato shapes are fine. Spherical, actually, interestingly, is not. Um, a big advantage to us because you know the best shape is actually a potato shape because they they fly the best in the airstream. Now the beauty about the potato shape powders is they're much much cheaper than than a spherical powder. So this is another reason we can push the cost down because we can use a a, a lower cost process to manufacture the powders. So um, as an example, in copper, we can use water atomized coppers rather than gas atomized. And, and um, these powders are therefore a lot cheaper. And you, you're getting into the commodity pricings that, um, that you, you can buy powdered metals for. So um, it, it always uh, is interesting to me the, the price that, um, uh, that, that some of the powders um, uh, are sold for in the 3D printing world compared to a traditional commodity metal powder. Uh, you know, commodity metal powders are a fraction of the price that um, that is currently being used in the 3D printing world. Um, now, there's some good reasons for that, um, but certainly you can see where the price can get to when 3D printing can can use commodity powders over the very specialised powders that are used today. And so as you've kind of grown the company and started to get visibility in various industries from defense, oil and gas and, and others, what do you see as some of the, the challenges and the conversations 
as you have with people who have different types of metal 3D printing kind of in mind as, as their default? Are there challenges that you have in explaining how yours works, how yours is different or the advantages or, or challenges? Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, so the the world of metal three D printing, of course, there's many technologies out there today, and it's a bit of a minefield for for customers. So, um, you know, traditional metal printing is is the default is is laser based technology, of course, uh, and um, and really, you know, laser have done a very good job over the last ten years of convincing people that three um, D printed parts have to be expensive and and very very um, uh, complex. There's there's this fallacy which says, um, what is it? Complexity is free. Um, well, no, complexity costs a thousand dollars a kilogram. Uh, so um, so that is um, that's where people's mindset is traditional. Is I need to make something extremely complex to make it um, viable on 3D printing, and and that is the case if you're using traditional metal printers. So, um, so what we've done differently is to, um, to have to educate people that know we can actually produce parts at you know fifty to one hundred dollars a kilo, which is in line with cast parts. So, um, so you can use a, a very traditional style part and be able to produce it at a cost at a, you know which you are um, very familiar with today, and that's a mindset mind mindset shift for the um, 3D printing industry. And, and look, it is taking some time to get that through. You know, we've employed some some great um, uh, leaders across the world, you know, in, in the US with Bruce Coulter and, and Paul Holowardi and, and also Stefan Ritz in, in Germany, uh, you know, are leading up our sales operations in, in those two regions. Uh, and and it's about, you know, really educating the market that, um, that you know, 3D printing can be economical. Um, you know, you, you do need to to still do some design to make it, you know, um, optimised for the process. But, you know, we, we can show to people, look, here's how much it costs to run the machine and here's how, here's how much it will cost in production for these particular parts. And do you still see a typical model with kind of even across the board with with different 3D printing technologies as you as machine manufacturers you are part selling machines but also part doing a lot of development and almost mm-hmm. internal service bureau model or, or work for for customers is is that a typical pathway for for customers who are interested in the technology you may not want to buy right away you guys do some development work with them and kind of take them along that journey of discovering the technology yeah that, that's pretty much right our, our um you know, we we're happy to build some parts uh, for customers. Ideally, we will then um, uh, push them out in, into the service bureaus that have our printers. Our our um, our business model is really selling selling the printers. Um, and and you know what we've done now is also move to a model where you know people could try it for a year. Um, you know, essentially lease the printer office for a year, give it a go, see if it works for their particular application or. or or ID, uh, and and really, you know, it's a try before you buy model. We're happy to do those sorts of things for, for customers because this is a new technology, and, and you know, three D printing is new as well. Um, I, I do think that uh, you know, over the last year or two, people are getting a bit more honest about three D printing, and and you know, the the uh, 
of where the technology should be used. Um, yeah, we've got to get away from making trinkets and toys to, to making real world products. I really, really encourage people to, to stop doing the, the trinkets and toys thing uh, because um, yeah, the technology has to move out of the prototyping and into the production space. And on the materials, are, are you an open platform? Yeah, yeah, we, we can we can do either. We, we'll sell the the powders, um, which which people do buy to start with, but then they can choose their own powders on an ongoing basis. You know, typical materials that are used on our machines are, are the coppers and all the copper alloys. That's brasses and bronzes and those things. The aluminiums, um, sixty sixty one. So we 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 don't need to uh, to go to the typical um, laser bed materials. You know, we can use very standard materials such as 6061, which is by far the most common um, uh, machined um, uh, alloy out there today. And then um, into the stainless steel 6, uh, and and then there's some some specialised powders we work with it as well. But but generally those are the materials we're focusing on. We we're not into the hard steels. You know, there's better processes for hard steels, uh, and um, so really it's it's those um, coppers, aluminiums, and stainless steels where where our focus is. Sure, and certainly it's been an interesting year based on the pandemic. But I guess looking six months to a year out, what are you excited about related to your company, your industry, your potential projects you have coming up? Um, for us, it's all around defence. The defence sector is really, really hotting up for, for us at the moment and getting um, more and more expeditionary printers out there. So sh showing to the world and to the you know, defence forces wherever they are that um, people can be control their own supply chain because in the defence, the, you know, the other important thing about 3D printing and, and specifically for defence is sovereign capability. So you must be able to control your own destiny and being able to build your own parts on the front line, wherever you are, uh, is such an important criteria for, for the ongoing support of, of defence um, worldwide. So, so we see this space in particular as, uh, as key, especially over the, you know, the next 12 months. Um, you know, the commercial world is, is uh, reeling somewhat, let's call it, um, from the pandemic. But um, the defence sector is um, is counter-cyclical. They're, they're really ramping up their um, their interest in, in this technology and, and what we can do. Um, and, and that's, you know, everything from Army, Navy, Special Forces uh, and, and similar, similar um, groups. Byron, well, thank you so much. I've really learned a lot, a lot about Speed3D. And if companies are, or if organizations, individuals are interested in learning more, where would you point them? Yeah, just, just jump on their website, speed3d.com, uh, and uh, drop us an email through there, and, and we can point you to the correct people. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. Great. Thanks, Mike.